0: You know, over time, companies have grown so much. New people have come in, the market shifted that that original vision may no longer be what's most relevant
1: to customers. Hello, and welcome to Brandtuned, a podcast on brand management that covers trademarks and IP as they're intrinsic to brand equity. I'm your host, Shireen Smith, author of Brandtuned. Writing this led to Byron Sharp's evidence based research stressing distinctiveness over differentiation, which I largely agree with, though not totally. Hence our tagline Sharp branding. Margie again supports B2B technology companies discover what makes them unique and to find the words to say it. She is the founder and chief strategist of Centerboard Marketing, a marketing agency based in the Washington, D.C. area. She's also the author of Brand Breakthrough, How to Go Beyond a Catchy Tagline to Build an Authentic, Influential, and Sustainable Brand Personality. Hello, Margie. Welcome to the Brand Tune podcast.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: So, I'm curious to know, Margie, at what point do you get involved in a brand? Most of the companies that I
0: work with are at sort of a point of inflection. So, they're entering a new market, or they're finding a new customer base, um, launching a new product, or they're going through a rebrand because something has happened in their, in their market space. Um, often they're merging with another company, you know, or they, something has been such a shift that they have realized that what they started out as is not sort of what they've come to be. Um, so that is often the point at which I get uh, brought in um, to sort of take a fresh look at um all of the elements that make up a, a brand, um, how the company sort of has grown and changed internally, what customers think about them, how the competitive marketplace has has shifted since they last looked at it. But there's usually something driving that. Um, and rather than a startup you know that's creating something out of whole cloth there's usually some change that has happened that has initiated this thinking that you know we can't do se- things the same old way
1: so would you ever get involved in naming as a sort of side question sometimes a company you know has been
0: purchased or there's something driving you know a, a name change um, so it's usually part of a of a larger question. Um, I have been involved in many product naming mm-hmm. uh, sort of exercises. It's not sort of the overall company brand, but more how do we name a particular product so that um, you know it, it's it's clear what it does, but it's you know also sort of gives us room for growth <laughs> over time. So um, that's that's the degree to which I've been involved.
1: So what is your process then how do you help a company who's in need of your expertise you can pick any type of situation say it's a merger and they need to rationalize their current brand it's two different businesses have come together so right tell me what's your process
0: right so um gosh so that's that is a massive undertaking um, where a, a project like that often starts with you know looking at the two different product sets and deciding kind of what they're going to go forward with. Um, so I, I will typically get involved sort of at the at the point at which you have two different companies that have maybe approached the market in a very different, way. So, for example, I I have one client now, it's a cybersecurity client. And as, um, you know, as you can imagine in that market, you've got companies gobbling each other up all the time. You know, there's a lot of overlap uh, in what different companies uh, bring to the market. It's very confusing for buyers also to sort of understand you've got all these different cybersecurity solutions and, um, you know, Hmm. ways of talking about them that aren't really uh, clear on exactly what the different products do. So the the first thing we might look at is, you know, what is, what are the different types of positioning, um, kind of messaging and positioning that each of these companies has um, chosen to kind of employ to try to explain what they do and, and how might that be Different, right? So, for example, one company uh, looks at—I'm trying not to get too too in the weeds or too wonky—but they might look at a concept. It's called zero trust, which is like trust no one, lock everything down, right? And and the other company sort of has a philosophy of well, you need to trust people and empower people because that's what helps your business stay productive. Right. So we have to teach people to do the right thing with their to be secure with their technology. Right. So you have two very different ways of looking at solving the problem. And they've they've each gone to market with these different messages. Um, and now, when we bring these companies together, we have to sort of rationalize, OK, what's our point of view now? <laughs> what's our perspective on um, you know, cybersecurity. It's not just about the products, right? But it's how we talk about uh, the value that we bring, and how we talk about sort of our our point of view and our unique approach to the market. So, these this, this is the types of things that I look at is sort of understanding the the messaging and and positioning um, behind the company, and really kind of trying to get clarity on. Uh, what makes them unique, and then uh, bringing those perspectives together uh, between the two companies so that, you know, if it's a merger, it's trickier. But, you know, often there's one sort of overriding voice in the room and sort of working to get everyone on that same page to say, all right, this is sort of our new value proposition, right? And, and our, um, one of our, our messaging framework. And now once we know that, then we have to sort of look at every piece of content from the website, you know, to the sales enablement materials to, um, you know, the emails that we send and, and say, okay, these are the things that are in line, you know, that reflect the the current messaging that, you know, make us sound like we're talking from, you know, one, one point of view and these are the things that suddenly seem outdated or out of touch or you know going in a different
1: direction so for do you example, talk to to customers at all in this process to find out
0: so far we've talked a little bit mostly about you know, how the company internally thinks of um mm-hmm. kind of their point of view but all that is really driven too by their understanding of of the market you know and what's going to resonate with customers so Um, Just kind of continuing with this idea of the the companies that are being merged, right, you may have one company whose customer, they really understand their customers, but their customers are, you know, IT people. And now maybe the other company or, you know, a new initiative is to start selling more to business users. Suddenly we have a new type of customer that may have totally different, you know, concerns and experiences and questions that they ask. So, um, I, I always encourage companies themselves, right, to go and, and interview customers and we set up a process for, uh, you know, gathering feedback for, for customers and questions to ask. Uh, sometimes a third party coming in and talking to customers offers a different perspective, right, because they've... customers often don't want to tell the bad things to their, their customer success manager or their account manager. They may not be a hundred percent sort of honest. Um, And so uh, it's nice to come in with, you know, have a third party perspective to, um, to kind of ask those tough questions and come with an unbiased, you know, point of view.
1: Do you do any other research to find out what the, state of the market is quite regardless of yeah. what the company competitive
0: is. competitive research as well mm-hmm. um sometimes depends on the market could be online research and and you're able to do a lot and find a lot uh, um, out online or through analyst uh reviews and things like that um i've done secret shopping as well right where you sort of you you go through the website exercise, do the chat, have a phone call with someone um, in a B2B technology space. It's a little more challenging to do that because it's such a long sales process, but gathering information on there's basically, I'd say, three prongs, right? Of sort of uh, developing messaging and positioning. And we when we've talked about them. You've got the internal company, you know, perspective and culture, you have the customer um point of view what is most important and relevant to them and then there's competitive differentiation which is really finding out if what you are saying is unique in the market and you know something that is, is truly unique to you that nobody else the customers can't find that value anywhere else So we look at those three elements and that's how we develop sort of the messaging framework which is the underpinning a, a brand it's sort of the infrastructure. Um, underneath the brand so that when you get to the point of, you know, say the naming, as you mentioned, when you get to that point, you really understand, you know, this is what the company is about and um, how we're going to build out all of our content and all of our elements to support the the brand name.
1: I guess it depends why they've merged, but I would imagine if one of the Brands is more successful, has more mm-hmm. traction with customers that you might want to keep that brand, and maybe not the other one. i I don't know. Uh, i I'm wondering how you make your decisions, how you diagnose the situation.
0: Well, again, it comes back really to those three elements, right? are Is there something that is inherent to the to the new company, right that we need to keep? What is unique in the market and what do customers care about most? There's no sense in, you know, emphasizing a unique sort of aspect if it's not relevant to customers, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, So those are sort of the three, you know, points to the triangle.
1: So then you, you will involve everyone within the company. Who who do you tend to work with inside the company?
0: Often a project, a, a brand positioning, uh, a messaging project starts uh, with the chief marketing officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I have seen a lot of projects where it kind of stays there. And, and that's a that's a problem and a failure of many brand projects and kind of a risk is that you do it in a silo. You know, you've got sort of, everyone goes on a retreat and <laughs> you know, brainstorms and, you know, sort of the marketing department has a bunch of great ideas. They're in the back room cooking it up and then they they come down and, you know, sort of deliver it to the rest of the company. And that's that's a sort of a course for failure I have seen, because then you have people that, you know, haven't been involved in the early stages, don't sort of really understand where this new branding or, or positioning came from and, and don't have not internalized it. So they don't really know how to use it in their day-to-day lives. So what, what I encourage is you do have to have a, you know, a smaller group of people to start, But if you can make it cross-functional, right, where you've got sort of leaders or ambassadors or folks that will be kind of your tentacles out into the rest of the organization, um, then you can get also different perspectives. So you've got salespeople, product people, um, people that are on the front lines like the customer and technical service folks, Uh, and marketing people who write, you know, and people who design. So all those different perspectives really um, help to gain a broader understanding of the company itself and, and also their interactions. They're on the front lines with customers, right? So they can sort of bring more data to the equation.
1: So would the founder the ever I'm still bringing... be in business, in the business, or with the sort of companies you deal with? Would the founders still be there or you know? at times? Um,
0: the companies that I deal with are usually not startups. Um, so there's typically not necessarily a founder, but at times there is, or there's, you know, there's a CEO or there's somebody whose original vision has been such a part of guiding the company that, uh, you know, it's it's important for them to be in the room. But, you know, over time, companies have grown so much. New people have come in, the market shifted that that original vision may no longer be what's most relevant to customers.
1: Don't you yeah. think you can learn a lot about what initiated the business, what actually was sure, wrong? sort of the, the origin. Them- yeah. The
0: origin story, right, is is definitely interesting. It depends on the kind of business, right, that, mm-hmm. that we're talking about. I mean, uh, for some companies, it was that are like a pioneer, or they, you know, they saw a problem in the market and they they found a completely revolutionary new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. That origin story can be very powerful because it it really explains, you know what they suffered and why they saw a need for a change also humanizes the company too to sort of you know look at like tom's shoes for example you know they they or even warby parker right they have a story where you know their the founders broke their glasses and they were on an airplane and they couldn't get new glasses and they were frustrated and they went to all these places and they said oh there has to be a better way everybody can relate to that story, right? Cause they've sort of been in that position themselves and makes them feel like, yeah, these, these people get me. Um, for a technology company, you know, that it's, it's harder to focus on sort of the individual founder as the vision, because it's sort of taken on a life past them, a B2B technology company, but it is important to humanize the story uh, and, and sort of the company behind the technology, because it's so easy to just talk about products and, you know, features and functionality and forget that really this is about helping people do their jobs more effectively. So if if we can humanize sort of the, the reason behind the company, it makes a, a customer feel like they're really, you know, understood and
1: supported. So are you actually looking for a story for them? I mean, what, what are you primarily trying to deliver for them? The
0: origin story is, is one example of, of a story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are many kinds of stories that I, I look for through the, the messaging process, sort of a galvanizing story of, of change, Right, Why, a story that's going to kind of take a user from their existing context, like saying, "All right, these are the problems I have today," or maybe they don't even know that they have a problem. Right, um, showing them sort of a story that includes a vision of the future, right, of where they could be through change, um, and putting it in kind of a story format helps them see themselves go through that change. So let me give you an example of, of kind of what I mean by that. Okay, So um, kind of a classic storytelling structure, the hero's journey, right? You've, I mean, we use it in Star Wars, you know, the Odyssey, it comes up in literature, people are sort of hardwired to kind of understand this storytelling structure, it basically starts with sort of the hero of the customer sorry, the hero of the story is the customer, right? It is not the brand itself. The hero, everything you think about is sort of from the point of view of the customer. They they start, uh, you know, they're in Tatooine. They have a, they're, they've they got a problem. They have a current context that they're working in. And then suddenly they sort of get this call. There's something that triggers a change. Maybe it's a change in the market, right? Like, like this merger we were talking about or it's uh, you know a technology change or a compliance requirement something that drives change and suddenly they wake up and they say okay um i have to change the status quo i realize you know there's more out there and then at that point is they they progress on sort of their journey they meet you the brand You're sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi in in this story, right? And through your relationship with the customer, you're taking them by hand through the rest of the story. You know, all the questions that they ask, all the ups and downs and the obstacles they face, the fights that they have, you know, the, the internal and external. And through these ups and downs, and that's the plot, that's what makes this story interesting. What happened? You know, how did you overcome it? Um, Eventually they reach the new normal sort of the, the vision of success. And that's ultimately, uh, you know, the ending of the story is them solving the problems that they had at the beginning. Right. And sort of entering this new phase of of the new normal. So Mm -hmm. I try to employ that sort of story structure to all of kind of the not uh, every piece of content, but as an overarching kind of umbrella for the content that we produce. The you know the the company's pitch deck that they use to uh, in a sales presentation.
1: I understand the story structure, but the issue is how are you going to make the position stick? How many things are you going to choose words or associations that? you want this brand to have in the market so that the stories can reinforce that? How many things? if
0: If you hit on the points that resonate with the buyer, right? So they understand this company gets me, you know, you're building empathy with the buyer by reflecting their problems, their situation back to them. Right. So if you're telling a story that's, you know, uh, Have you ever been in a situation where, um, you know, your software crashed and you had to redo everything that you had already done um, and you couldn't get home on time, you know, ended up working all night long, right? This sort of the painting of the picture of um, it in a way that really reflects the customer's true reality The words that you choose, and that's where these customer interviews are so valuable, listening for the words that the customer uses to describe their own problem and then reflecting in your messaging and in your content those words back to them, that's what makes that connection and kind of closes the distance between you and your customer.
1: The thing is, though, if you've got competitors and they're all telling their stories and humanizing themselves... How' do you stand for something? How do you make sure that the whole yeah, market... That's the,
0: that's the trick isn't it right yeah. is, is there's so many competitors out there there used to be you could start a saAS company five years ago and you'd have you know one or two competitors and now you have ten. You can't just tell the same story as everyone else right so you're but first you're proving that you understand the customer's point of view by reflecting their context maybe others are doing that as well you know to your point so then moving on in the story you're you're explaining why what they may have tried already didn't work right what the other options are that they uh, may have explored or the old way of doing things there's always an effective story technique you know yesterday's enterprise, Yesterday's techniques aren't working anymore. We need a new change, a change in tool set and mindset, right? So that also clarifies that you understand their situation and kind of sets you apart as not like yesterday's technology, not not like the others, Um, clarifying what, again, what it is, the unique value that you bring that the customer could not find anywhere else that's the piece that um, you have to get very, very clear on.
1: Yeah exactly. Truthful. That's the positioning that you're trying to that's that's run. the positioning, right? Mm-hmm. That takes some time,
0: right to really to really uncover what is it that's your sort of superpower, right? What is it that makes you able to take the hand of your customer and something that that if you did not exist right in the world, they would not be able to do
1: it's quite a challenge to achieve you know yes to decide how to yes
0: it's not slapping a label on something you know or or a brand Mm -hmm. identity which you know I i have great respect for graphics people and and the visual but the visual design of branding is just one element of this you know the naming is one element of this the the real sort of what's underneath the covers you know if you go if you were to go out to 10 customers and you were to ask them that question right if i did not exist or if my co- you had not worked with my company what would you do right what would you have done and what would have been the impact of that what would have been the problem with that you know how would that have affected you if you go ask 10 people that question you start to hear patterns right and they say ah oh, i don't know i mean i guess I would have had to do this myself and I would have had to spend all this manual time figuring out this problem, but you've made it automated. And so now I don't have to worry about that. You know, listen for what they say, let them, let them guide you because they they've been out there and they really, they understand their own world better than you can ever Mm -hmm. imagine To
1: So apart from your own book, obviously I've mentioned your book already, but um, what, sort of books would you recommend for listeners who are trying to develop their brand personality and are working on their positioning?
0: There's a number of good books. I I like storytelling uh, books. Um, There's a very good book called The Story Wars. That's a a few years old now. Um, And there's The Business of Story. That's that's another very
1: good book. What about Story Brand? Do you like that?
0: I like Story, of course, Donald Miller, Story yeah. Brand. Um, it's, it's also, you know, very strong. I think that um, one of the things I tried to do in, in my book that uh, is similar to those, right, is sort of provide some, you know, some really tangible frameworks and exercises that people can do on their own right, to sort of get started with this process. And that's the the types of books that I tend to like, uh, the ones I've mentioned, often have sort of an appendix or, you know, a template that goes along with it that is very actionable. Mm -hmm. So you can put some things into practice right away.
1: And what brand do you particularly admire? I know I'm putting you on the spot by asking you, but is there Mm -hmm. a brand that comes to mind that you think is exemplary? One brand, I,
0: I, I'm not the only one who thinks this, certainly, but uh, Slack, right? Which is, you know, I mean, they were purchased by Salesforce, so but I think they're retaining their name, at least for now. But they've done an incredible job of making their brand personality consistent, not just in um, sort of their outward marketing materials, right, but in the product itself. So the way that the brand is presented, the way that you sort of communicate back and forth with it, the words that they choose, um, the language that they employ, very, very, uh, he, you know, he, again, he humanizes uh, the mm-hmm. product and it's consistent so that even if you have multiple people designing and contributing right, to the brand, um, sorry to the to the content or you know that all of them can kind of sound like you're really talking with one person that's a very interesting choice how about yourself what what kind of brands do you think do a great job at being consistent
1: like that oh well apple obviously everyone would met, would say apple i just love some of the content they've put out as part of their advertising the crazy ones who think they can change the world you know it's just very inspiring I think
0: yeah and I it's such a great example of you know sort of a rebellious brand Mm. where that that that, think different and showing the little videos and little vignettes of stories of people that have were considered like you said a little crazy right but then did things a different way so and you know t- 10 years ago Apple was the brand for the sort of the designer you know everybody else in the company got a PC but it, you know the designers got the Mac because they were unique and special and that's how people thought of themselves but now I, I don't know if there's so much sort of for the outliers it's become such a standard thing um, that I, I don't know if that reflects them quite as much as it used to.
1: Well, they managed to charge a hefty premium on their phones, which is quite an achievement. That's true. Really.
0: Right. right. <laughs> and yet everybody has one. So it doesn't make you a yeah. rebel. <laughs> <laughs> More, <right? laughs>
1: Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Margie, for appearing on the podcast.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.
1: I'd love it if you would sign up to the Brandtune newsletter at brandtune.com newsletter and access the seven costly mistakes to avoid when branding or rebranding. The link is in the show notes. My guests next week are Justin Foster and Emily Sokorsi, the founders of Root & River. We discussed brand strategy and in particular branding from the inside out.